welcome to another episode of The Lineup Podcast with Santa's favourite ladies, myself, Lily, and Indy Leachman. Little elves. Little elves. The favourite little elves of Santa. Don't Have you been on the, uh, do you think you're on the good list or the naughty list? I'm or the on nice the naughty list. No, I'm not. I'm, oh, I don't think I'm getting anything this year. Not because I'm naughty, just because I am an adult. Yeah, adult. I'm an adult and I'm broke, pretty much. I Sorry went. to be the bearer of non-Christmas news. The Christmas spirit is not in the studio right now. Yeah, I haven't really felt it though, to be honest. Like, we've had a Christmas tree in my flat for the last few weeks, but I'm just not feeling Christmassy. But maybe it's because I associate Christmas with spending, yeah. and I haven't been spending very much. Well, that's good. I feel like my Christmas spirit is being overshadowed by like the stress I've got about like getting yeah. all the Christmas stuff. Yes. And then I also know I want to like bake stuff for Nixon and Nate because that's what I do every year. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to bake? When am I going to do it? Plus, I need to organize like all the stuff for New Year's and ugh, la, la, la. That's probably why. I went shopping for Maddie today for Christmas. Oh, how'd that go? Good. I Honestly, I just went into Area 51 and I started talking to the the sales guy and I was like, now, what do you think? Her? It's like what a mum would do. I, what do you think a, a boy, a 26-year-old boy would like? Oh my God. And, and you're like, I'm 26. Like, I would know. I have cool taste. Why would you not know? You know? Like, <laughs> um, the guy pointed some stuff out and I was like, no, no, no. Yep. Uh, yeah, they'll do. Yeah, just get them and I'll just keep the receipts. Oh, my God. Keep the receipts. That's mm. all I say. Anyway. I always end up getting clothes that, like, because I always buy him clothes because he just doesn't buy it for himself. And I'm yeah. always like, mm, he'd look really good on this oh, one. Yeah. But he but that's would never part. buy it for himself. But I'm like, come on. I'm trying to make him a bit easy. And then sometimes that works <laughs> if they're like, cool, that's cool. I'll get on board. And then other times you buy this cool shit and they don't wear it. And you're like, hello, the fashion police is telling you to wear the new yeah, item. Come ta- on. Take your fashion advice from me. Yeah, your hello. Girlfriend. Check me out. Looking anyway. all swagoo. Is that a thing? No, probably not. Anyway, let's moving uh, quickly along. Thank you guys for joining us on another episode. Today we are speaking about attachment theories um, and kind of just general relationship uh, advice. We are joined by a very fabulous uh, guest. Her name is Jackie McGuire um, and we'll be talking to her very shortly. She's a clinical psychologist, so she, you know she, she knows is shit. legit. Yeah, we just had a nice chat. It was a cool chat, wasn't it? She was really easy to talk to and I feel like I want her as my psychologist. So do, that's what I wanted. <laughs> I, at the end, I was like, do you do I like, we have sessions? a rapport. I know. And she's like, no. And I'm like, come on, Jackie, do it for me, Christmas present. She's so good, though. She just spoke in a way that was, like, really easy to understand. Yeah. And I don't know. It just made me. You like, guys are going to take a so lot from it. I feel like you If really you're in will. a relationship. Been in a relationship. Ever been in a relationship. Want to get in one at some point. It will be really helpful for you. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to uh, kick on to that very shortly. But first, it is time for to buy or not to buy. And to start us off with to buy this week, what we recommend you spend your hard in dollars on. Okay, so this week I have a very cute suggestion for you. This is me trying to get into the spirit of Christmas and that is there's this really, really delicious Akoya candle. I think it's called Pine. It comes in, have you seen it? It comes in the yeah. green packaging. It is a Christmas ca- um, candle. Uh, uh, yeah, it? it's like a Christmas specific like, you know, addition for Christmas. I've seen Christmas like 18 times now, but it's really, really yummy. And my mum bought it last year and then she got me one this year and I just have it burning in my room and that sort of gets me into the festive season a, a little bit. Christmas is the best. such a smell, right? Oh yeah. I th- feel like I don't get quite into the Christmas spirit maybe because we don't have a Christmas tree at our flat. Or a Christmas candle from a Koya. Yeah, and maybe I need but to get But then that some candle. of the Christmas candles I feel like do smell gross. Like they're all like spiced twig and like 
frankincense and myrrh. And I'm like, it's obviously not. I feel like that's what Christmas would smell like if you were in London or in New York and yeah, it was a white in Christmas. Like Jerusalem, you know, like frankincense and myrrh. We don't have that here. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> frankincense and myrrh. It's like that thing that they brought Jesus. Oh, God, I don't know those stories. No, come on. It's like the nativity story. The three wise men. Catholic Christian school, so I don't know any of the stories. No, so it's just like, what do you mean? Did you not do a nativity story? No. Okay, I'm like Googling Frankincense and Myrrh as we speak. It sounds like Frankenstein to me. I'm imagining Frankenstein made out of twigs. I think it's like um, some sort of like metal. What? (laughs) What is Frankincense and Myrrh? It's a gummy sap that oozes out of trees. Not metal. (laughs) Okay, well anyway, you harden it and it's, okay. You guys need to go Google, but I think it's some (laughs) sort of like essential oil. So I don't know what it is, basically. It's a smell. It could be metal, it could be bark, it could be a tree. It's a sap. It's not a metal. Is it an essential oil? Who knows? The point is, (laughs) always weird flavours. Anyway, so you recommend the Akoya pine candle. There's no Frankenstein smell. (laughs) Frankenstein! Oh my god. Okay, moving right along. Moving on to not to buy this week. And this is kind of a technicality because it doesn't cost you anything, but you still kind of have to sign up to it. And it is a free month's trial to ClassPass. Have you heard of it before? No, I have no idea what this so is. It has, and at least it's frankincense and myrtle. <laughs> moving away from your fucking weird smells. Um, so it's been overseas in like Australia and America for years. And I've been like waiting for it to come to New Zealand. So I'm super stoked about it. Essentially what you do is you sign up and you pay like, $50 a month or something and you get like a bunch of credits and you use those credits on different exercise classes or fitness classes. So instead of having to sign up to Reformer Pilates and you just have like a, you know, 20 pass concession card, you sign up to class pass and you can use some of your credits on a one Reformer Pilates class. Then you can use it on a yoga class at a different place and then you can use it on um, a cycle class or a boxing class. So you can use your credits up at any sort of fitness place that's on So like on Les Mills and F45? No, Les Mills and F45 aren't on it. Yeah. But other things like yoga studios, um, yeah. the Pilates, Pilates their cycle, boxing. Um, I'm actually tomorrow going to get one of those floats. Oh my God. Yeah, it's on it. I've got one too. I've got one saved up. I haven't done it yet, but that reminds me. So I, I'm spending my like free credits on one of the floats. How many credits do you get when you sign up? So when you sign up, it's free yep. for your first month, $0, and you get 100 credits. And are they like equivalent and to $100, to, or how does it work? Uh, not really. To So like maybe like a yoga class would be six or seven credits, but my float is 21 credits. But I'm okay with that because they're like $100 plus on its own. So, yeah, you get 100 credits if you sign up for your first month for free. And then do you have to, like, keep going? No. So you do have to put your credit card details in. Yeah. So after the month is up, it will charge you. But if you don't want that, put an alarm on your phone and make sure you cancel it the Mm, day before it's going to charge you. Interesting. Okay, cool. Right? That is very cool, And it's only just come to New Zealand as well. So they're only going to get more and more different kinds of – Activities and group classes and massages and that kind of thing on there as well. Super, super cool. Cool. Anyway, that's enough about that. Should we get on to the good stuff now? Let's get chatting with Jackie. This is our cool chat and enjoy it, guys. (laughs) 
Okay, guys, well, it's time for us to uh, talk about attachment theory. Now, we are joined by a very fabulous guest with us today, and that is Jackie Maguire. Welcome, Jackie. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It's a real privilege. I have seen Jackie on um, The Breakfast Show at TVNZ plenty of times. She's come in to talk about all sorts of different things, and she's someone who I've always wanted to meet. And um, not that long ago, you were on the show. Weren't you talking about attachment theories? Yeah, maybe a, b- a month ago, and it had really good traction. Yeah. So. I'm not surprised at something you have picked up. I remember um, when, yeah, afterwards, and they saw it, and she's been talking about it since. Yeah. So this has been something that she's been, like, quite into. Yeah. Have you been analysing yourself yes. since it? I'm actually massively into attachment theories. I've learned quite a bit about it over the past sort of year and a half. Well, not, not you know, intensely, but I read this amazing book about it that my mum gave me, and so I'm quite... I would say I'd like to think I'm reasonably yeah, up nice. to speed on it, but obviously you, you probably we still can know do more. We interview together, Indy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I didn't take over now. No. I've read a book once. Um, exactly, yeah. But no, I think it is quite an interesting thing, and obviously it affects everybody, attachment theories. Yeah, so that's why we thought it would be a good topic for us to speak about. Um, so we just thought we'd start off, though, by asking you, what's your background? What do you kind of do for your job? And if you can just tell... Sure. So so I'm a clinical psychologist, uh, which by definition in training means that I can meet with individuals, diagnose mental illness if I need to. And I'm I'm really an undercover geeky scientist. So kind of what's going on for someone and what's the best interventions that we can put in place for them. So it's kind of my formal training. Mm I co-run a business called Umbrella and we support New Zealand organisations to help boost wellbeing for their staff. So, so is that more like businesses and stuff specifically, or yeah. is it all sorts? It's kind of like you take clinical psychology and the theory of wellbeing and, and mental health and how to flourish and, and kind of feel like you're nailing life. How do you take mm-hmm. that theory and pair it with business acumen? So, you know, we want to be part of successful businesses, whether you're a pr- private organisation or a government department or a small NGO. You know, we want to have organisations where people are engaged and feel like they're doing well at work. So how do those two join together? It's pretty amazing, don't you think, the like push we've had towards, um, you know, wellness in the workplace over the last sort of, you know, I feel like, I mean, I haven't been with the workplace forever. I'm only, you know, three or four years out of uni, but um, it does really seem like that's at the forefront these days. It's much more of a trend to have a healthy working environment. Yeah, definitely. Like I feel like back in the day, well, obviously I wasn't working back in the day, but there was sort of like an attitude about around work that it was just like work hard, that's it, you're there to make money for your employer and now they are looking after you and like yeah. understand that your like long term game game is like important for them as well. You can't burn out and stuff, right? So totally. And if you take a like a pure dollars look at it, yeah. every dollar you invest in supporting well being, you get four back is the average really? in terms of investing in really? mental health at work or well being. Wow. So, you know, that's from a really crude measure. Yeah. But then if you look at how that happens, yeah, if I'm less stressed at work, I've actually got a better brain to do mm-hmm. my job well, which means my outcome will be better and I will be collaborating with my team better, for example. If I like my leaders um, probably means I'll stay engaged longer and I might not go and look for another job. It's so, so interesting. Yeah. You, know, you can look at it from a number of angles, but I think the more data we get, the more we realise how important it is and businesses have started to realise it's, it's integral. It's not a nicey-nice on the side. Yeah. Actually, it's really important we look after our people. That's yeah, true. definitely. Well, I think, um, I guess, you know, to put it... I did it, but again. Um, so, Jackie, I guess 
it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about what attachment theory actually is. Sure. And, you know, obviously it's something that affects everybody. Get us back on track. Yeah, yeah no, to- totally. We could have a whole podcast on well-being at work. <laughs> sure. So at- attachment theory comes from the, the, the 60s. Um, a man called Bowlby, who was the original scientist to look at attachment theory, worked out that for all babies kind of up to the age of two that are born into the world, it's really important that they have a good connection with their primary attachment figure, which normally is mum, but could be mum or dad or, yeah. or, or a caregiver in order to develop well. And attachment styles have fallen out of that research. So if you took any one of us and looked at how do we relate to significant people in our lives that are our current attachment figures, and normally that will be a partner. So when you kind of grow up and become an adult, your partner becomes your default uh, primary attachment figure. Mm. If we looked at how we interact with our partners when we're not stressed versus how we interact when we are stressed or we're having a fight or when things aren't going well, that gives us some insight into our very early attachment style, um, which can be really helpful and useful for us or unhelpful. So there are multiple different attachment styles? There are. Can you run us through those? Because as far sure. as I'm aware, is there four and one of them is quite rare or is there? Yes. That's, is, see, Indy could be doing this. read the book. Me. She wasn't lying I know about it. No, no. So I'm, I'm going to split this hopefully easily for you. If you thought of two main categories, there's secure attachment and insecure attachment. The insecure attachment you can then divide into multiple categories. But if we start with secure attachment, which about 50% of the population are securely attached to their primary attachment figure, that basically means when I'm a baby with no ability to uh, regulate myself, soothe myself, I'm purely reliant on my mum or dad. A secure attached says that actually my parent is there for me consistently. So when I am upset or I need something, they clock it, they mm-hmm. see it. I'm safe all of mm-hmm. the time and they're able to soothe me. So should I be hungry and screaming as a young, as a young child, Mum or dad will come and pick me up and say, Jackie, it's all right, come on, let's go. My needs are being met. Yeah, my needs are being met. And so, you know, when you develop with secure attachment, basically what that means is I have learned that I've got a safe home base. So I can go out and explore the world. I can go and kind of play with the blocks in the next room. And when I get upset, I can go back and find mum or dad Mm -hmm. and, and they will soothe me and calm me down. So that helps as an adult to have this really good kind of like hardware system in your brain yeah. that says relationships are good. You can rely on other people and they can rely on you. It gives you good hardware to say, actually, it's okay to get other people for, for comfort. Like I don't have to just kind of hold it all on my own. Yeah. I can I can seek out um, support from other people. So secure attachment is is ideal. And yeah. about 50% of us have so that. only half of us would have gotten that that's when we were children. Nuts, yeah, hey? yep. So that's kind of that's kind of the secure camp. If you yep. then take the insecure camp of attachment, that's where you can start to split it up. So two insecure attachment styles are quite common. One is called avoidant attachment. So that's when I'm when I'm a young bub or or baby, my parent is unemotionally or emotionally unavailable for me. So say I'm upset, scared tearful etc either my parents not not physically there so they're not able to soothe me or they're emotionally not present right so and stressed that, in their own life or that kind of thing yeah it could be so it could be um could be I've, I've got a parent that just works all the time and invested oh, okay. invested in working and so they're not kind of emotionally present for me C- could be that I have a parent that's got a really significant mental illness that's really struggling mm-hmm. and and kind of isn't able to mm-hmm. be there emotionally for me could be that I have a parent that's got an addiction could also be that I come from a family where it's like the harden up attitude is present at home. So 
you know, I'm tearful and upset. And what gets said to me is, you know, um, yeah, tough enough. Yeah, tough enough. Or boys don't cry. Yeah. Or, you know, my parents are surrounded by people that say, don't moddy coddle that child. Mm. You know, like, you just need to learn, you know, they so need to learn to get over like it themselves. So is that sort of like also that, um, I mean, I could be crossing theories here, but sort of like self, self-soothing self with babies? Thinking, is it that a strategy? You know, because you have babies who to... like cry and cry and cry. Is, so there's, that so there's research from the 70s, because that was big in the 70s, that you just let kids cry and soothe themselves. And to take, words from, to take words from other researchers, that is the most damaging kind of uh, parenting. That really? Because, because babies need to know that they're safe and seen yeah. and heard. And so if I'm left on my own, and the best way to probably think about it is emotional pain is almost like physical pain. So think for yourself, if you've, yeah, if you've stuck your finger in the car door, which happened to me as a child, it, mm. it bloody hurts. Mm. So imagine that you're like, you got your finger stuck in the car door and you can't, you can't open it. And there's no parent around you to yeah. help you. So what are your choices from a survival perspective? Your, your choice is to stay in the pain, which will be excruciating, or to numb it and withdraw from it. So what you see from avoidant attachment is I have learnt that no one is around to support me. I can't support myself as a young child. So I'm just going to numb it and stop feeling it. Because and so then that is you so sad. Translate that into being an adult. Is that someone who just can't quite connect fully with it in a relationship? So, so it's, I think it's really important to think about relationships under stress. Okay. Because, because when things are good and life is good, you know, everything's, fine. everything's okay. It's like when you first start a relationship and you're in the honeymoon period yeah. and it's like everything's amazing. But it really is when we're under pressure. Mm-hmm. And so avoidant attachment under pressure, people would tend to withdraw. So imagine you're oh, having an argument. Fight. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Imagine you're having a fight and the person that just absolutely shuts down. Yeah. Doesn't show. Doesn't want to talk about it. Doesn't want to talk mm-hmm. about it. Might physically remove themselves or emotionally. So mm-hmm. you just get nothing back. Um, yeah. That could be the activation of their avoidant attachment style. And that could be obviously very damaging if you are the other type of insecure attachment. Yeah, which India is what? <laughs> and you segue to the anxious. <laughs> is that what they called the anxious? The anxious um, attachment. Yeah, the anxious yeah. attachment style. Because I, oh, I heard that often avoidance and anxious end up together, don't yeah, they? Like, like two, two opposing magnets that join together. Ah. So can you tell us a bit about yeah. the anxious? So att- an anxious attachment style happens when part of the time as a baby or, or a toddler, my parent is really warm and attentive and I know how good it feels to have a mum or dad, a primary attachment figure that responds to me and cares for me. I know how good that love feels. Yeah. But then sometimes they don't respond like that. So imagine it's, yeah, well imagine it's like, you know, I just stubbed my toe and mum came up and said, oh, that must really hurt Mm. and I'm going to give you a cuddle and, you know, what do we need? Do we need to put a flannel on it, et cetera? I know what that feels like. The next time maybe I'm kind of out playing and, and one of the kids at kindy steals my toys. And this time, mum's like, I'm too busy. You know, sort it out uh-huh. yourself. And so then... So it doesn't even necessarily need to be, like, nasty, like, aggressive. No. It could just be sort of like, okay, no. this just, you know, deal with it in a second or I've got something happening right now. It, it, yeah, and, and repeatedly, kind yeah. of that inconsistency. It could also be, you know, a, a parent that's anxious themselves. So sometimes when they feel good, they can respond to the baby and feel confident about that. But maybe another time it's like, I'm hungry as a young baby. And then mum or dad's going, am I doing it right? Am I feeding right? I'm not sure. And ah. kind of that kind of ambivalent or non-reassuring can also yeah. cause anxious attachment. So you then have young children that are on hyper alert. Am I going to get consistent, warm, loving parent? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to get not present? 
And so what you see in young kids is that they become really aware of other people's emotions and what's what's going on around them, especially that in that so primary attachment figure. And they become trackers. So I know exactly where you are and I'm staying close to you. So kids that like cling to mum and to mum mm-hmm. or dad's legs, you know, and you then take that into adulthood of I need to know exactly where you are. Don't leave me because at my core, I fear abandonment if mm. I've got anxious attachment. Yeah. You then start seeing that play out in, in adult relationships, which might be we've had a fight or we're going through something really difficult. Or maybe it's even my partner says I'm on, I'm on my way home but they don't come home for another hour and a half. And you freak out. And so the internal at yeah. the core is, where are they? They've abandoned me. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. But the so thing about anxious attachers is the way they display that as an adult is to become nasty, angry. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you? And you kind of think back to that young child, like, how dare you, mum or dad, not give me that love and care that you normally do? Because they already knew how good it was when it yeah. was supposed to be yeah. happening. Yeah, and, 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 and what's wrong with me that you can't give me that? Or, yeah. you know, what's going on? And so... So a lot of shoot from the hip, that sort of thing, totally. if they were, you know, fretting or feeling a bit... Totally. So it's, so it's like, yeah, why are you late? You told me you'd be home. You mustn't love me. You know, that yeah. kind of... It might sound ir- irrational, right, if you take yeah. it at a pure cognitive level. But inside, yeah, it's that anger. So you left half, me. Half of us are in the insecure categories yeah. and the other half are secure. Uh, so, so, yep, half are secure. Then in the other half, we're kind of split mostly between yeah. the anxious and the avoidant. Okay. And then there's a very small 2% uh, percentage of people that it's either called anxious avoidant or disorganized. Okay. That happens disorganized. <laughs> can't work, can't <laughs> quite work out my attachment. Yeah. Well, that happens for young for young children that have abusive parents. Oh, that's not so, um, so, so I rely on my parent for survival, but my parent hurts me. Uh, so those oh, young children have got have got huge confusion and can't work out how to stay safe. Right. So maybe sometimes that kind of anxious clinginess is useful maybe sometimes that complete shutdown to protect myself because I'm going to get hurt so I need to do what all I can do is be numb for example and it's like they do not have a hardware to sort out how do I be safe in relationships how damaging can that be for I mean obviously it would be for children but you know these are sort of things that you say they they grow up with this yeah how how much of an impact is does your attachment theory have on 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 your life on our lives So I think having an understanding of your attachment style is really helpful and, and, and important. I think if you're in this secure attachment uh, camp and you are in a relationship with somebody that's in a secure attachment camp, you've probably uh, got a sweet deal. Like mm. it's good and nurture and protect it. And you're both coming from a position where you know it's going to be okay. And even if things are tough, you seek out and you, and you, and you lean into you each can other. You com- communicate and that kind of thing. And yeah, Absolutely. You then think about the anxious and the avoidant paired together, which is quite common. And that absolutely can be damaging if people don't know what's going on. I think it's important when we're talking about attachment styles that it's not like it's a personality trait that's never going to change. Their habits and their behaviours that have formed to keep us safe as young people. Okay, so you can sort of like identify what what sort of like area you are anxious or whatever and then you can like work on changing that you totally can change it so there's something called earned secure attachment so as an adult I can recognize what my style is have an understanding of what my vulnerabilities are and if I'm an anxious attacher that may be I fear disconnection or I fear abandonment Mm. if I'm sitting in the avoidant camp maybe I fear rejection for example Mm. so if I have an understanding of my vulnerabilities and I know what triggers that I can try and be mindful and put helpful actions in place. 
Mm. I think what's most useful though is when you work with couples and they have an understanding of each other's yeah. attachment styles. I think you can that's be more a really if you understand why someone's yeah. lashing out the way they are. Because that's right? how I actually came to learn about it was that um, a relationship that I'm actually in at the moment. Mm. For the first sort of year we were together, there was a lot of. Um, difficulties I think because I didn't really understand that he was perhaps a bit more of an avoidant secure mm-hmm. and I was a bit more of an anxious secure so we would can have, you cross over like that be like you, well it's kind of like old, old style theory would say you're anxious or you're avoidant yeah. or you're secure yeah I think new but theory is going to continuums yeah right so right. if you've got what I've painted you is extreme versions yeah. of that mm. I think if you put secure attachment in the middle and avoidance avoidant attachment on one, one side and anxious on the other it's kind of yeah. like we're on the line do you see yeah. that's what I find that's like what I find so interesting about it is I would have said in the early days he would have been more the avoidant I would have been more the anxious but I don't know how it's happened but I read up a lot on attachment theory my mum was like you should read about this and I read this book and I think it's actually just called attached it's a really good book and it made me understand um, why we were having a lot of those sort of fights and why he would react certain ways he would and why I would be the same way yeah. I would. And then I talked to him about it a lot and I said, this book has really helped me understand this. And now we don't really have, um, you know, sometimes we'll still have a moment where it's a bit like it used to be, but that's a lot um, less frequent for yeah. me because I now understand that sometimes he will just, you know, be that way and I'll, you know, instead of getting myself in a tailspin, yeah. I'm sort of like, okay, have I got a good boyfriend here? Yes, I do. Yeah. Is he perhaps a little bit stressed or there's something going on? Yes, yeah. there is. I don't need to get in a tailspin about this, you know, and I have tried to make steps probably towards making myself more of a secure attachment um, than what I have been. I don't know if that makes any sense, if there's any logic to what I'm saying at all. Well, or... I think if we don't have understanding, we're probably hurting the other person yeah. without having any reason yeah. or, 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 or knowledge that we're, that we're doing that. Sorry, knowledge that we're doing that. And then it's like, if I get this either angry (laughs) reaction from an anxious uh, attacher or I get a real shutdown, I'm then going, what's caused that? I don't understand. And absolutely, those things play off each other, right? So if I get more anxious, angry, and then clingy, and if I'm with an avoidant person, they're going to shut down and it's going to make them want to shut down more. And that can come across like they don't care. Yeah. Which for a clingy sort of person or anxious person Makes me more anxious. So it just gets worse. So it is. It's like a spiral, You don't understand it. So it's like, you know, what's a metaphor of that? I am... I always kind of pat my mates on the back when I walk past, but I don't know that they've strained a back muscle. And the more I go past and hit them and I'm like, hey, and they're like, why would you do that? Yes. And it's like, I'm just saying hello. What do you mean? And like, don't you understand? Why would you do that to me? Yeah. And it's kind of like, you just keep doing it. It's and, almost and like two different languages, it isn't is. it, in a way? Yeah. And so kind of going forward, absolutely people can can shift that and earn their secure attachment. And in couples, it's really useful to do it together. So kind of the the steps that are helpful are, as a couple, can you sit down and go, what are all our vulnerabilities? And actually, if you sat down with your partner now and said, what is it that you fear in this relationship? Or what is it that activates you? Like when we're kind of in a tricky time or under pressure or stress, what is it you worry about? It'd be really interesting to know if the other person can name that. Imagine Mm. that, sitting down. And so if you're you're able to say, actually, I'm really... At the core of me, I'm really scared you'll leave me, you know, yeah. and and that's why when you come home late, if you come home and all you talk about is work and you don't ask me how I am, if you're not present and distracted, actually I interpret all of that as you're not here for well, you me. you don't care yeah. or you're not interested, that yeah. sort of thing. And on the other hand, 
for example, an avoidant attachment might say, actually, I think you're going to discover who I am and that I'm unlovable and that I'm faulty ah. and actually... I'm scared that when you work that out, you're, you're going to leave me. Mm. So it all example, comes back to like, well, you're going to leave me. Well, well, well yeah, not yes, in case we're not going to be together. Yeah. And so it's like, if we can map that out and, under, and understand that together, then can we go, well, what do you need in those times, right? So if I notice that you're kind of getting activated either by um, clingy or, or angry behavior or you're starting to withdraw, what would be most useful for you in that time? And then it's like, can you kind of come up with a plan together? Um, you know, and a good example would be somebody that is that, is that anxious att- attacher. Maybe their partner, when they can see them getting riled up, goes, you know, I love you and I'm not going to leave you. You know, I just need to do my work. You know? I've had that. That's what <laughs> I think has happened to me. I've yeah. had times where I felt like in a headspin and then I, he's just calm to be being like, um, you know, like nothing is ha- going on. I actually just have yeah. to get a bit we're of work be done, okay. but we're going to, you know, let's go for dinner tonight, you know, give me a few hours and I'll get this stuff yeah. done or whatever. And that has calmed me. And like, I feel like over a period of time that has perhaps shifted us more both. I don't know. Yeah. feels well, like it's it like more your brain's, secure your brain's starting to learn, right? And yeah. that, that actually it's okay. I've got a new pattern of yeah. working and I'm getting good feedback from that. So, um, Sorry, I was just going to say, that brings me to ask you then, can people um, in some senses like fluctuate depending on the different relationships they had? Like would, you know, maybe one boyfriend bring out more of an anxious side in you than perhaps another? So I think your default is your default because it comes back to your relationship with your primary attacher as a child. I think if you're an anxious attacher or an avoidant attacher and you're in a relationship with a secure attachment figure, it's less likely to trigger your style. Mm. So, for example, if I'm an anxious attacher and I'm with someone secure, they're probably able to do naturally do that. It'll be okay. Like, yeah. I love you. It's all right. You know, yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Just recognize I, what you, know, you need and then kind of deliver. Yeah. Or they might give an avoidant attacher some space and be okay. Like, actually, I can go out and play soccer and come back and, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's all good. You know, I can give you your downtime, for example. So I think if you're partnered with somebody that's secure, it probably is like a leg up. Um, and the more that you're with that secure person, the more you start to learn habits and kind of go, actually, I'm kind of safe in this mm-hmm. relationship. So but the core of you in terms of what links back to your early attachment style would you know, stay the same. Would stay the same unless yeah. you start to earn your secure attachment. Mm. My, my go-to when I'm in a fight with my boyfriend, if it's a bad one, I just like throw a text back. So I guess I'm avoidant. I'll just be like, I'm not going to text back for a day. I'm just going to think about what I want to say. Yeah. And if you think you about see, it. I would be like, what's wrong? Yeah, what's wrong? Yeah, Can we like, fix it? <laughs> meet up for a chat now. I need to talk it up. Like, I don't want to be in a fight. But Lily, That's I think so it's weird. important to go that all of these behaviors aren't a choice. It's not like you're consciously going, okay, I'm going to, you know, mm. like I'm going to be a dick and I'm not going to respond. Like yeah. you're not consciously choosing to do, to do that. It's your safety system uh, kicking okay. in to go, I actually need to kind of protect myself right now. And when you've then calmed, the front part of your brain, which helps you be the adult version of yourself, kicks in and says, actually, I really, maybe, I really love my boyfriend. And, um, you know, actually, I want to work this out. So since I was live, if I wasn't going to text him back, I I would be thinking, fuck him. I'm just going to text him back because I want him to stress for a little while. That's actually me being secure and just making a dick move, right? Because, like, it's not like I'm like, oh, I can't even talk about this. I can't communicate what I feel, that kind of thing. But I think people that are avoidantly attached at the extreme end wouldn't even know they're shutting down. They've right. got no conscious awareness. They, they're just going into survival mode. Right. You know, oh, and actually don't have an ability to show empathy or care 
in that moment. Uh, but that's extremes, numb, right? But We're that's extremes. So yeah. Maybe on the, on the other end of the scale, but still a bit avoidant, but not super, super avoidant. What are you talking about, you? Yeah. Yeah, well. And I think I think if you haven't paid attention to it closely, that's kind of how you start to work this out. So, yeah. you know, you can go and see a therapist and talk about your childhood and God, talk about yeah. well, how you are in relationships and you could work it out that way. There's probably some online tests that can help you do it. Yeah. Or you can start to become very mindful of yourself when you are in interactions with your primary attachment figure, which will probably still be your parent, whether it's your mother and father and your partner. You might um. have those reactions with both. And so it's like if you're if you're in a really threatening in terms of we're having an argument, we're in conflict, where it's a really pressurised time, kind of notice how you respond, what your thoughts are, what you start to feel. Mm. And the more you track your own data, kind of helps you work out what's my mm. underlying system. So next time we get in fights with our boyfriends, we have to think about what we're doing. So yeah. we can be like, okay. Well, well I have been. What, what I have I been all in. bloody year. That's yeah. just been my thing. Like I think um, I... I actually feel like understanding my attachment theory and his attachment theory has been massively helpful for my relationship and making sure that he understood what I was talking about and that it was important to me that, you know, because I think you can often have these conversations, especially at our age with guys and a little little bit like sometimes like, "Uh, okay, like (laughs) we're 23, (laughs) like just chill out over there, you know? And then, but I actually think it's really important in terms of like moving forward. If you, you know, in a relationship is that you do have to bring up, um, these things, even when you're young, if, it, if it's something you're feeling is really important to you and to help you move forward as a couple, I think it's really important yeah. to have those conversations. And it's important to kind of know about the lifespan of relationships. So there's kind of three phases of a relationship. Oh, so okay. Phase one is like honeymoon phase, which yeah. is like, no matter what the other person does, I'm totally love blind to it. And we are like having the best time of our life and yeah. we don't fight at all. And I'm sure we all know what that feels yeah. like. Yeah. That and can you're last definitely going to get married and have like twenty children, <laughs> five yeah, because you're we're perfect no together. And so yeah. that can last between two weeks and two years, kind yeah. of depending on how long that how long that lasts, how long the good stuff keeps coming. Then the second phase is when you get into power struggle. So it's like I've been completely enmeshed with someone, and in my power struggle phase, we're now redefining ourselves. So actually, this stuff is important to me, and it, my my needs might not have been met in the honeymoon stage, for example, or mm. I might have kind of so that's been the first sort of fights and stuff yeah. might start to happen. Like actually, the environment's really important to me, and you don't recycle, and that really annoys yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. You know, for example, and actually, <laughs> for his first month, they were like, "Who <laughs> cares? Yeah. Fuck the recycling." Yeah, it, I forgive him, yeah. and then you're like, it's "Actually, now that starts." To get on my nerves so that is when you start to see attachment styles come into play mm. and that is when most couples probably separate if they don't work it out. How long does that stage go for? Or is it very? How it it varies. Yeah. But I think the last stage is mature love. So yeah. you've kind of got through your power struggles. And I think if you can work out We've clocked each other's attachment styles. We've got a plan about how to manage that. Mm-hmm. It actually very much helps people transition into long-term, stable yeah. relationships, just like secure attaches. So if you look at most secure attached people, they've probably had long-lasting relationships. Mm-hmm. They might not have jumped from partner to partner. They mm-hmm. might have just had a couple of long-term That's. I think that the that is so interesting that you talk about the different lifespans because I feel like, you know, I've had, uh, I've been one of those people who's had a few boyfriends, mm-hmm. you know, since. I was 15 or whatever. And the one that I'm in now, I mean, I'm very, obviously still gushy and very in love, but I do Are really, you in your honeymoon phase? I think we're, I actually would say we had a very interesting relationship where sort of in the early days we did have that honeymoon period, but we've been friends for five years or so mm. before we got together. So I discovered a lot of things I didn't 
I thought I knew that I didn't know. So I think we went from a, um, had that nice honeymoon time, but then our challenging stage was very tough and we actually did part ways for a while and there was a few outside pressures, you know, like he was trying to find a job, I was trying to get promoted, didn't have a flat, all those sort of things were starting to cause a lot of strain. But then we um, got back together and I feel like we've come through a lot as a couple. So I would now say that, I sort of feel like we're backwards to any other relationships I'd had in the past because it was always like great honeymoon time, but then it sort of eventually would just start Maybe to peter you're off. And in now the stage that's what least. I mean. That's why I'm listening to you, and I'm like, I feel like I, for the first time in my life, might be mature. <laughs> Literally ever. I think <laughs> I'm on the mature stage as well. I've been. You're such a mature girl, though. Just saying. But like that doesn't mean being mature doesn't mean <laughs> always in a mature stage in the no, relationship. Yeah. I don't know, but I definitely, I just, I completely identify with those three stages in yeah. my current relationship and the other relationships I've had as well. Yeah. It's so interesting to think like that. And then. If there's so much into relationships, don't you? You don't realise, I think, how much stuff plays into your relationship. And I think in that power struggle stage, that's when you hear stuff like, relationships shouldn't be this difficult. It's too yeah. hard. Yeah. You know? And, and actually, relationships take work, yeah. right? And in the honeymoon phase, they might not feel hard at all, but actually all of us with our own histories, memories, thinking styles, behaviours that we bring into the relationship, you have to find a way to kind of be symbiotic with those two, right? Yeah. Which means we actually need to understand each other. Yeah. We need to understand how to support each other, which probably will be different. And we could have conversations about love languages here. We could have conversations about attachment. Oh my god, the like, languages so, of love. There's, god there's so bless. I've done an have. online test about my love language. <laughs> How um, reliable do you think the online tests are? Are they not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's interesting because like, I live. Like, it's like my guess, Bible. And that's yeah. <laughs> and so I think most things that I would talk about, I would say I'm not going to raise that unless there is like hardcore scientific evidence behind uh, okay. it. Attachment style, there is hardcore scientific evidence behind it. Love languages, I think, are just really, really helpful. So for those people that don't know, um, this theory says that we have five ways of communicating um, to people that we care about them or love about them. Uh, Type one is words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. So I show you I love you by by telling you and I write you cards and I text you that I love you. I'm that one. (laughs) Me too. I'm totally a words of affirmation. The, set, the second category is gifts, so I show you I love you by buying you stuff because, you know. That, Who doesn't love to be bought yeah. stuff? <laughs> uh, the third is acts of service, so I make you breakfast, I take the rubbish out, I paint your fence, I fix your car. That's all my ways of showing you I, mm. I love you. Um, then there's time, uh, so I just want to spend quality time with you. Yeah. So when you show up, you know, I'm never on my phone, I'm fully present with you, etc. because mm. that's my good quality loving time. And the last is touch, so those people that are, the huggers and the want to hold your yeah. hand and the spoon you all night. Yeah. And so I think actually having an understanding of what's my style, what's my partner's style is really useful because sometimes I'm trying to show you I love you, but if it's if we've got different languages yeah. going on. You're not looking at their language, yeah, are you? Or it's like, you don't love me, you haven't told me you've loved me, like full on for a week. And, and your partner might say, but I just cleaned your car for yeah. you, and I've taken the and I've taken the shopping out, it's and I've cooked so you dinner. And I've, <laughs> so all that. I'm doing is showing you that I love you. And yeah. so you know, being able to have that understanding, I think, is another skill set that yeah. helps you communicate well That's, and stay close. Oh, I just find it so interesting. I just wonder how many relationships have broken down and ended because they just people didn't understand to figuring out how each other were communicating or like their reflex responses to any conflict. And I think there's lots of factors that come into that, right? Like you have to be at a stage in your own life to be ready to look at your attachment style, et cetera. Like I need to be ready to go, 
Because I'd imagine it would be, if that's your default response, like instinctively, I imagine it would be really difficult to change it once you are like aware of it. Yeah, or, or yeah, becoming aware of it, I think, is important in the first place. Right. Um, I always joke that I've been raised by a psychologist and a social worker. So <laughs> I've had conversations about attachment style since I was very young, but oh, you know, oh. most people haven't grown up in my family. Yeah. So it's like if I'm not aware of it, how would I even know? Yeah. So things like this are yeah, really useful because they get people thinking. Um, and yeah, I, I think it depends on where you are on that spectrum, right? And also, are you doing it alone? All the research says if I'm in a relationship and I've got a really support, supportive partner, that fast tracks my, my ability to shift it because mm. I'm kind of getting live data to work with. Okay, my, 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 my husband is out at his work party tonight. I'm not going to text him every 15 minutes and say, when are you coming home? Yeah, what are you doing? I'm going to trust him <laughs> that he'll come home when he says, yeah. you know, and and does he, or, or if he comes home 10 minutes late, is that okay? And can I then use that data to say, actually, I didn't need to work myself up in a state. And actually, our night didn't end in a fight this time. It ended up with him coming home and going, you know, this was my night and I had a really good time and we had a and really good conversation. No, <laughs> you know, and so, and so it's like, I've now got that data yeah. to work off and I'm more likely to go and, to go and do that in the future. Mm. So... It is just so interesting. This I could might just... be a little bit um, completely unrelated, but I deal with like chronic homesickness. Do you think that has anything to do with my any attachment or anything like that? When she, you her say... family live in Auckland. Let's just make this clear. Like they live in Auckland around the corner. I was going to say, Lily, when you say homesickness, what what do you mean by that? Um, it's, I mean, it's not too bad when I'm here. It's like if I haven't seen them in a while, it gets me very worked up and anxious. Yep. Or if I go overseas, it's very difficult. Yeah. And when you're with your family, do you feel like that's home base, safe? Kind of. It's more like I just need to go home, be like, everyone's okay. Yeah, you're still alive. Ah. No one's fallen over, had a heart attack. Maybe so all the glue. Goodbye. I'll see you next time. Ah, interesting. So your worry is about are other people okay? Yeah. Not about the fact that you're not there. Yeah. Yeah. But that's... sometimes I feel like I'm a bad daughter for not seeing them as often as I should. Yeah. I think maybe we could unpack that for a long time, but maybe not on air. So we got another (laughs) hour. (laughs) So that wouldn't have anything to do with these sorts of attachment theories, right? Or types. I think any... Anything is not as clear cut as probably it sounds mm. like, you know. So it might be might be partly my attachment theory, or your, mm. it, it might be partly your thinking styles, might be partly experiences you've had. Have you ever been away and something bad has happened, mm. for example? And therefore, it's like traumatized me. My, yeah. my brain's on high alert, for example. Mm. And so, you know, it could be a number of things. Uh, with all psychology, it's trying to work out where's this coming from, what's kind of driving it, and what's keeping it going. Um, to get geeky on you, we call that a formulation. So kind of, I'm I'm away and I'm homesick and I'm worried about my family. That's kind of the presenting, you know, f- factors. Yeah. Okay. When did that start? What kick started that? And what keeps it going? For example. Yeah. And that helps you then go. What what what's that about? And what do I need to do to try and shift it? Mm, interesting. I just have to say, this is a fabulous chat. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Have I totally um, used up all my time? You oh. have, like, now I just have a billion more questions. I know, I feel like I can issue. honestly say, I'm conscious that your throat's probably, like, sore from just talking like yeah. constantly. I just think it's so interesting. I'm so fascinated by understanding the brain and how it works and all it's almost another one of those topics. Us. I mean, and you always talk about this. One of the things that you just should have been taught at school because your life would have been a lot easier. Imagine. Why is psychology not a class? Is it 
about how many relationships you've gone through in your life that you probably could have, you know, or like with other people. Dealt with who, better. Yeah, if you knew about these sorts of yeah. attachment types and stuff, how different they would have been. But it's also, you know, my, my, my personal view is, for example, seeing a psychologist or, um, or, or a counsellor, for example, you know, it's a really good way of me going, who am I? Yeah. What are my strengths? What are the things that aren't so helpful for me? How do I tweak them? And how do I live my best life? And I think... Unfortunately, for a long time, therapy, psychology, et cetera, has been attributed to I'm not coping. Yeah, and yeah. So massive if, stigma. If, if we shift that to go, how do I learn how to be the best version of myself? Yeah. And people start engaging with that, then isn't that an awesome way of going? I'm going to understand me and how I am in the world and so see how I can It's sort of like people in LA, isn't it? Don't they all see shrinks yeah. up there and they're also open? something up? I never considered, but if I was to turn up to a therapist and like they're like, what's wrong? And I was just like, nothing's really wrong. I just want you to tell me, like, how What's be, going you know, on? Would they be like, "What the hell are you doing here?" Or would they be like, "That's perfect." No, well, I think it, I think the opening would be, "I want to understand myself better," right? Yeah. And it's probably choosing the right fit for who you go and mm-hmm. see. I mean, there's lots of different styles of support. So there's psychologists, there's psychotherapists that are really into kind of looking back at your past and mm-hmm. and you know how your memories lead to that and relationships, etc. So. I think it's about finding the right person. Is there yeah. someone that's really good at helping you make links and help you make understanding? And potentially there's some other uh, some other professionals out there, perhaps that more work to a kind of targeted, I've got a presenting problem and I want to fix it. So yeah, kind of finding the right fit. So Jackie, if um, people listening have decided that they'd like to go and speak to someone after this, where can they either um, come and meet you or do you have people you recommend or websites where they can have a look for available people? Yeah, so I think in, in New Zealand there, there are a number of professional bodies. So if I wanted to go and speak to somebody in my local community to work out more about this, um, you could look up the psychologist board or I'm a clinical psychologist. So there's something called NZCCP, which lists all the clinical psychologists, the psychotherapy association, the counselling association. So it's like I could go to one of those websites and go, is there someone in my area that I like the look of? Right. Um, and I always suggest to people that if you go and you don't feel like you click with the person. So if someone comes into my office and they're like, oh, Jackie, you are like not for me, mm-hmm. then, that, that, then that is good. Mm-hmm. Like I always upfront say that, that having a good connection um, leads to about 80% of success in therapy work. Mm-hmm. So if I don't connect with you or build rapport, this is not going to work for either of us. So go and kind of try people out to find the right fit. And I think people can can read. I think the internet now is a wonderful thing. So, you know, if you can Google attachment style or attachment, attachment style test, for mm. example, you know, go out and read and research and That's test yourself online and... And, and kind of and learn about it that way. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. It's been a real delight speaking to you. And I know everybody listening will be super thrilled uh, getting this time. So thank you. And thank very you Merry Christmas me. to you. You too. <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Lineup Podcast. It is our second to last podcast of the year. I know. Can you believe that? How quick's this year gone? Very quick. Yeah. But anyway. me out. But yeah, thanks so much. Give us some feedback if you wanted to. And if you found that chat with Jackie helpful, let us know. It'd be really cool to hear what you thought about it. Yeah. I know personally I'm just going to apply it to every single relationship I'm in for the rest of my life, which will be helpful. (laughs) Yes. Maybe we adapt and get another, you know, you get it. I also think that I need to see a therapist about my homesickness. Yeah, that's When I told her about it, she had a really concerned look on her face. You're 26. She's like, we can unpack this in private. It's going to take an hour and we don't have that time. (laughs) 
Um, no, but that is true. She was a great chat and we're very lucky. And we have got another amazing podcast. The last episode of the lineup next week, guys. We are so looking forward to uh, reflecting on the year that's been 2018. It's going to be a goodie. We will see you then. Bye. Bye.